morning. I am so excited to continue in our teaching series today. What I want to actually do is I want to start, um, Charles kind of kicked us off with a few shout outs. I actually want to begin today with a few shout outs. Um, the first person that I want to shout out is actually Hannah. She's standing in the back. Um, she graduated with her master's degree a few weeks ago. So I just want, we just want to acknowledge that. Um, I actually, we're, we're going to acknowledge a few graduates and continue our applause as I'm going to recognize Abby. She graduated high school, and so we just are so excited for her. These, these are some big milestones. Um, just really excited um, to have two, gra- yeah. Grace, yes, Grace graduated too. Yes. So we, we want to continue to acknowledge those. Those are just big, just big milestones that we want to acknowledge and celebrate. Um, as we talk about passing down the faith, really, to just give you that previously on, it's all about how we understand the Christian faith and what we do to make it accessible and distill truth to others, specifically the next generation. And in some ways... It helps us re-understand what it actually means to be the church. So far, what we've looked about in our series is really the transition from thinking of church as a destination to living life following Jesus as a directional, so a shift from destination to direction. We've talked about a, a second shift from a sage on the stage to really a guide on the side throughout life who understands what it means to follow Jesus and to walk with people along the journey of life, helping others follow Jesus. Last week, we took a look at a shift from output to input. Really the understanding that when we try to control our behavior and we try to behavior modify to live up to a standard that ultimately does not produce change. What produces change is an attachment and a connection with God that we get through understanding who he is. And we do that through engaging with his word. And today we tackle our fourth shift so that we can effectively pass down the faith. And that is a shift from form to function. In the 19th century, steel frame skyscrapers emerged on the American scene of densely populated cities like Chicago, St. Louis, and New York. During this time, American modernist architect Louis H. Sullivan, the father of Chicago's skyscrapers, wrote a landmark paper on the way skyscrapers should be designed. In his paper, the tall office building, artistically considered, He coined the phrase, form ever follows function. He believed that the form of a building should always be developed based on its function or intended purpose. Little did he know this phrase would not only influence modern architecture, but would be applied to products, design, and systems throughout the 20th century and even to this day. In fact, at the time, this time, if you Google search on form follows function, results in nearly 3.7 million web pages will come up. If you ask ChatGPT to give us a synopsis on why form follows function, it can do just that. And we may wonder if form follows function, if really function is the key 
then we have to start considering if we are going to effectively pass down the faith. That means we have to understand the function and purpose of the Christian faith and out of that, the church. Because if we don't understand that core, what happens is a distorted faith. A faith that's confusing and ultimately, I think, a faith that's pretty worthless. But when we understand the core of the Christian faith and we understand its function, then what starts to come out of that is people who live out of that essential relationship and that attachment to Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So I'll ask, we've asked this question a few times in this series. And I think it's very, very important. We'll throw that question up on the screen. What is the main message of Christianity? When you are in conversation with others, what, what, what is taught from the stage, what is, whether you're the guide on the side, what, what is the type of message? If you had to boil it down to a single statement, what is that main message? I shared a few weeks ago that my understanding of this essential message is this. Go ahead and go to that next slide, that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation, especially humanity, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, as Jobina shouted out a moment ago, you could say love, that God initiated something. He loved creation so much that he wants to rescue and renew because there is something that we need rescue from and for And we need renewal. Our world needs renewal. And so out of this core, because of Jesus, it allows us to figure out our actions and attitudes. What type flow out of that core? And I just want to say something. I mean, notice what's not in that statement. Anything we have to do, any sort of form, any sort of this is what it looks like, it's all God initiating and us responding to that truth. See, it's not a form. The core message of Christianity isn't work six days and rest on the seventh. It's not try your hardest to meet a standard and be a good person. It's not, you know, you know, I'll let you be you and I'll be me and we're all cool. That's, that's not the message of Christianity. It's not live and let live. It's not even let go and let God. Some of these bumper sticker things that we've grown accustomed to. The core message is that God himself came to rescue and renew you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's not a form, but it should inform our actions and attitudes. And the type of character, the type of life we live with God for others. Jesus actually sums it up in this way in Matthew chapter 28. He says this, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and... uh, Let me get to my... I'm just paraphrasing here go through and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe everything i had commanded you and remember i am with you always to the very end of the age 
What Jesus is saying is, I have come to rescue and renew. And so as you go, as I am ascending you, help people follow me. Be initiated into the new family. That's what baptism is, is initiation into the, the family. And so some of you, you're like, man, Generations is my church. It's my family. We want you to make that public in baptism. We want you to say yes to Jesus in that way, saying, okay, I'm agreeing to follow Jesus and his authority and respond to that love, to respond to that initiating rescue and renewal every day of my life. And so to respond that helping people observe, obey, and sometimes that word obey can, does not mean beat into submission. Let me, let me clarify that. What it means is out of attachment, out of a loving relationship, you respond because you understand who God is. And then you want to live and model and reflect his character. So, so response, again, obey is not beat into submission. It is simply responding to who he is and what he has done. And so Jesus wants his followers to do that, to, to respond in such a way that they understand the rescue Amen. that has been extended to them and that they can be made new. Amen. When Jesus sums up the statement, of all the law and the prophets in Matthew 22, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Amen. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's why this series is even based in the book of Deuteronomy, because the, 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 the first couple books of the Bible and really the full Old Testament, that's the same Bible that Jesus had. So when he is teaching his disciples to reflect, to observe, to engage with the creator, to engage with his heavenly father, he's teaching them out of these Old Testament scriptures. And as Jesus understood, he said, listen, God is love. Understand that God loves you and that you should respond in love. And you notice what he quotes is what we've been looking at in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is that Shema, and out of that Shema, then here in Deuteronomy, it talks about, we'll talk about God's word. Talk about God's will, his way. When you stand up, when you lie down at your home, along the road, plaster it everywhere. Mark it on you so that you remember who God is and what he has done. Because when Jesus refers to this and when Moses is giving that information on the edge of the promised land, are they about to enter a new season of life? What Moses is referring back to is God had rescued them from slavery. He had intervened and now was bringing them to a place of promise. And they were to be an example of how living in attachment with God would totally change society. They were to be a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, to get everyone's attention, to say, hey, like God's will and God's way, his kingdom, his reign is here. And we should respond and grow in attachment with that and live out of that. So when Jesus, then go back to Matthew chapter 28, is saying, all authority has been given to me. Go there. He's saying, take my will and my will. Help others surrender to that. Live in accordance with that. And then pass that on. So when we say passing down the faith, that's, that's the core, the essence in some ways of what Jesus commands to his people. Is to get to know me, start to live this faith out, and share it with 
others. And in order to share it with others, you have to get to know Jesus yourself. You have to start walking down the path of living in connection with him. And the whole purpose of the church is to help us do that together. You don't have to figure it out yourself. Trust me, there are people here who have all kinds of questions. I sat down with some people this week, and you wouldn't believe the questions that I got. And I get so excited because they're questions worth asking. Because when we start to ask those questions, to bring our doubts, our curiosity to our uncertainty, and then we seek the scriptures together, what happens is it starts to, it does start to change our action and our attitude. And it starts to be principles that can be proven out over the course of time. And it's because his way is better than our own conceptions or imagination. Then we try to make it up as we go. And in fact, that's what the early Jesus followers, after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, when Peter preaches this great big sermon and says, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. He's died for you. He loves you. He is the son of God. And they heard this. They were cut to the heart and they're like, hey, what should we do? And he's like, Arise and get baptized. Let's go. Like, let's join, the, let's join the family. And then what happens in Acts 2 is as these people start to navigate and follow Jesus, what do they do? And it, it says in Acts 2, 42. So those who were accepted his message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the written words and commands of Jesus, the Old Testament scripture interpretations, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all were believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, to anyone that held in need. Every day they devoted themselves to a meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This passage man, is just so soaked with the core and then the outcomes of the core. The function and the forms. Because sometimes we get those two confused. Sometimes we think that the Christian faith is all about miracles and performing signs and wonders, feeding the poor, meeting needs, having things in common with others, living life together. And that's what it says in Acts chapter 2. There are all those things present. But those are outcomes of the court which they started with. See, what happens is when people engage with God with each other, they fellowship, they remember their story, the breaking of bread, that's why we take communion, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They seek God through prayer. They're together. And then they devote themselves to what Jesus said, to what he taught. What happens is as people do that together, then miracles happen. Then they have things in common that they would have never thought they would have had in common. Then, they, then it even says no one had anything in need. Sometimes we try to eliminate all the needs, and that, that's, that's a form, that's an outcome where the priority 
is Jesus. And as we do that together, we're going to be dreaming and creative. We're going to hear a need and then meet a need. But we don't seek to start to do that. That comes out of the initial connection with devoting ourselves to Jesus. So miracles like this in Acts 2 are an outcome. And sometimes what happens is when we confuse the two, it actually acts as all kinds of barriers. Sometimes, we, like I said, we, we think the main emphasis of Christianity is to do good works in the community. And I absolutely want us to do good works. Generations is a church that's committed to our community. But that is not primarily why we exist. That's an outcome of why we exist. We exist to live in loving attachment with Jesus. And as we live loved by the creator God, we can't help but then share that love, which means to love people, you've got to see them meet their needs and respond, identify problems, and to be a part of the solution, to be the rescue and renewal in the community that you first received in Jesus. Another, another thing that sometimes we think political activism is the main message of Christianity, and that's that's not it. It is an outcome, I believe, that, that when you observe your community, when you see the needs, when you meet needs, when you, you, can, you can then vote your conscience. You can then respond. But it's not primarily why we exist as a political entity or a voting block. No, we exist to live in loving connection and attachment to Jesus. And out of that, then we will respond by figuring out how do we live as good citizens in our world to live, love, and show that love to others. And what happens is when we do that, people will see the church existing in the way they were supposed to exist. See, sometimes we think, we we, we flip this order backwards. We think, okay, well, I come to church, I be the church, I show up at church, and then the church looks at the world and says, what do we need to fix? And then we send people to go fix it, and then it's like, sweet, God's kingdom is now there. In reality, when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, God's kingdom is wherever his rule and reign is. And so when you allow him to sit on the seat of your heart, the throne of your life, God's kingdom dwells within you. And collectively, as people do that, and we share that and respond to that, we disciple others. We help people understand that, live in connection with God. We disciple others. And then, as we live, where we live, work, and play, as you let God's rule and reign have his way in your heart, in your life, it will impact where you live, work, and play. And as you build the relationships, then what happens is you realize you can't do it alone. So then you're like, okay, we got to gather and we got to come together to continue to do this better and better. So the church is an outcome of God's kingdom, of his rule and reign on your heart first, working through discipling others, engaging the domains of society, producing a church as we go. So church, as we say this, as I, I should say, as I say this, let us not confuse as we said in the shift from destination to direction, that this is the primary place where we have to get people. Rather, allow God's authority, allow his love to sit on the throne of our hearts. And then as we live, sharing that love, talking about God's will, talking about his God's way. That's why it says in Deuteronomy, when you sit down, when you lie down in your home, in all of these different spaces, know who God is, talk about him, 
live with your actions and attitudes in such a way, then people start to ask questions. Why are you different? Why would you share that perspective? That's not how I would have handled it. What, why would you do it that way? And then you're able to come back and say, well, I'm trying to trust and follow Jesus. And at this present time, this is where, how, how I think he's leading me to handle it. And this is where it says in his word that helps me do that well. Do you got questions, concerns? Have you ever thought about trusting and following Jesus? And what you're rolling into is spiritual conversation that is very normal and natural. And then you're not trying to, you're not, you don't even have to be the sage. You don't have to have all the answers. That's the, that's the shift from, from sage to guide is trying to, you don't, you don't have to have all the answers. You just say, hey, can we get together with some other people and engage God's word so that we can seek out answers together? And over time, as you engage with God's word, with God's people, and trying to let God have his authority be on the seat of your heart and your throne, then that will produce change. But when we confuse form and function, our non-Christian friends and family and the next generation want nothing to do with faith. Because inevitably, they see us as trying to protect a form when it's no longer useful. See, church is not purely a utilitarian measure or means to help your kids get right, to help you get right, to give you a community. When we view church as a utility, we're confusing the function with the form. The function is for us to engage with Jesus. And as we seek to do that together, the result is the church, the people of God ruled by the Spirit of God in the, in the places we find ourselves. That's why... The forms can always change. If you hang around generations long enough, you'll know we switch stuff up. <laughs> you come, six months later, the order of our gatherings flipped. Why? Because we're not beholden to a specific formula. Right. What we're trying to do is say, when we gather, how do we help people connect? How do we help people engage in God's word, know what he says, what he's about? If Jesus says, you know, that, that the to love God with our total being, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then when we get together, we need to talk about how we do that, do that well, seek his will, seek his way, do that together to remember our true, or the bigger and true story because we're bombarded by stories throughout, throughout the week and remind each other of that. That means we can reorder how we gather so that these can be essential in part to help us get better at doing that. In the, the book, Growing Young, some of the studies talking about how would churches effectively pass on the faith specifically to the next generation. When they were surveying different students, they asked churches, you know, which, what is the most effective age group they are at reaching? And they asked us all kinds of survey questions. Respondents in this study named college-age students less than teenagers or adults from ages 24 to 29 said that they had a hard time reaching this age group. But what was interesting 
when they surveyed that exact age group, 19 through 23, they asked them, why are you connected to a church? Why did you stay involved after high school, going into your now adult type lives? 45% of these students pointed to personal relationships as the reason they stayed connected with the church, not programs. In some way, when we gather, the order of what we do things could be considered a program. Youth ministry is a program. Small groups is a program. Sunday school is a program. It's a form or an expression that, that was utilized to solve a problem or meet a need. But what happens is when those forms, because they're not the essential, become no longer useful, we should not confuse them with what's essential. What is essential is Jesus people engaging with Jesus, and then figuring out creative ways to engage others with that news and with that message. And so we should be quick to get rid of methods that are no longer effective and not confuse that with the message. Because the message is that every person needs rescue and renewal. And we have that hope because God himself came through the person and work of Jesus. And so when they started to break this down, what they determined was that every student who really internalized the faith grasped it and was actually able to pass it on. There was a five to one ratio. And it's not just students. I would argue that this is adults in general. And the five to one ratio is not one adult for five students. It's five adults who love, trust, and follow Jesus for every one student. When you think of that ratio to effectively do that, well, that means for every middle school, high school, young adult, some 20-something that you want to trust and follow Jesus, we need five adults who are maturing in their faith to invest in that one person. got to work cut out for us. And here's what you realize, is you actually can't do it on your own, which is why we need the church. Because to effectively pass down the faith, to effectively talk about it on the road, in homes, in the public setting, as you do life, you've got to introduce your friends, your family, and those who don't know Jesus to more and more people who are trusting and following Jesus, becoming mature. So that's a gift that you can do is help others introduce, be introduced to more and more people. Leslie Newbegin, he's one of my favorite missiologists. And I, I attribute much of the way I think about mission in the church really to him. Um, he was a missionary um, in the 1970s or before that, he was, went to India, and then he came back to England. And he realized that England had completely changed. And he realized that the gospel was just as much needed in the West as it was the East. So in his retirement, rather than play golf, man, that looks appealing, 
He felt convicted to devote the rest of his life to equipping the Church of England to be missionaries, not just overseas, but right where they were. And this is what he says. He says, the church is to be a sign and instrument and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. There is one phrase that he says about the church that he has consumed really a lot of the way that I, I, I want us at Generations to help, to help live this out. That the church is to be that sign, that instrument, and that foretaste to the kingdom of God. See, the only possible hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation which believes it. If we want the hearts and minds of the people we love to change, if we want our community to not quite see as much brokenness, then the hope of the church is not to commit ourselves to the forms or to the outcomes but to commit ourselves to the function, to the essential, to the message, and allow that message to shape how we determine what methods we will employ. I think one of the most simple ways that we can start to do this is to simply ask for help. Because it takes humility to recognize that you need help that you can't do it by yourself, and that you need others to support you. So where do you need help in your life? Maybe it's something physical or tangible. Because what I find is the way the gospel shapes us is when we realize that we needed a rescuer, we needed a hero, we don't always like that. We don't always like to be the helped. We'd rather be the hero. We'd be rather be the one who provides the helping than to be helped ourselves. But what we realize is through the core message of Christianity is that while we were still helpless, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we can't produce change in our own hearts through modifying behavior, through white-knuckling and willpowering our way to a better life, it's the spirit of God that moves in our hearts that produces a change in attitude and action that we can attribute how we are today and why maybe we're better today is not because of our own effort, but because of his work in our life. So do you want to be the helped or do you want to be the hero? I think one of the ways we can start by helping our community, by seeing, helping loved ones see that we aren't the Savior, but that Jesus is, is by being humble enough to receive help. I'm pointing towards the true hero. Because when we point to him, the reason other people help us, it's not because they're good or they're right or awesome or even because they're the hero, but because they're trying to follow the hero, the Savior, Jesus. So may we be people who say, I need rescue I need renewal, that we can share various spaces with people, that we can identify people in your life who aren't being discipled and just maybe extend an invitation and include others along the way. May we be a church that never confuses the form for the function. May we be about the message, not the methods. Let me pray for us. Jesus, 
we need you. May we together seek your will and your way so that the things we talk about along the road are not just the outcomes or the byproducts, but the priorities, the consistency, the main message of who you are and what you've done. Sustain us, guide us, lead us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. To remind us of that, each week we have this final prayer that we pray together. And in some ways it's to remind us and instill us of that truth. So here's what I want to do is it's going to come up on the screen here in a second so that we can bring that up. And you can pray this out loud or maybe you just need to receive it today. And so let's pray this together as we close. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then lived for generations to come. Amen. You are sent. You are loved. Have a great week.